0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. ICRT's weekly roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan. Today, we'll be covering the last seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps. Merry Christmas, Gavin Phipps.
1: Happy New Year to you.
0: All right. We're going to gonna we're gonna stop that right now or else he's going to run out on us. Also in studio with us today is Brian Hugh of New Bloom Magazine. A little bit cri- uh, Christmas cheer with you? Uh, they're okay. It's somewhere in between. Somewhere right in right. between. All right.
1: Happy Hanukkah.
0: That
2: happy is, Holidays. Is, is that
0: what yeah. comes in between Hanukkah? <laughs> All right. And also with us in studio is Jason Pan of the Taipei Times. Merry Christmas? Yeah. Happy Holidays. Yeah. That's the cheeriest we got yet today. All right. Jason Pan, the man. Well, we've got quite a show for you today. Uh, We got preempted for this evening, actually, so there um, will not be a broadcast of the show. So today, this is a 100% podcast edition of Taiwan This Week. Uh, We don't have to even pretend that we're professional today. Uh, But we will stick with the basic format, so let's take a look at what's coming up on the show. On the show today, the ROC has one fewer friend in the world. Sao Tome and Principe is walking away. They've had enough. They are finding their fortunes elsewhere and we will discuss whether this is a sign of things to come for Taiwan and whether or not we should really worry about it at all. Then trade talks with Japan have hit the skids after Taiwan authorities renounced any plan to allow in Japanese exports from radiation affected areas. So, should we be more worried about the nuclear food or the fallout on trade relations? See what I did there? It's like a nuclear it's like a nuclear pun. Then we've got on Digital Minister Andre Tong to tell us what to expect from the forthcoming Asian Silicon Valley project. We've got a rep from Migrante International to tell us why they're calling on the Philippine government to lend more support to blue-collar Filipino workers living in Taiwan. And we've got Jason Panin to tell us whether or not efforts to reform Taiwan's sports system will reach their goals! <laughs> but before we get to any of that, Uh, We are going to have to give a very, 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 very quick mention to what's going on in the U.S. Very quick, because if we make it too long, Gavin actually will walk out of the studio. He has made that very clear, that he is sick and tired of hearing U.S. news on a show about Taiwan. So we're going to run through this as fast as humanly possible. Here's the long and the short of it. Uh, Taiwan is, in fact, in the news in the U.S. again. This time, it's President Barack Obama who got it there. Uh, So this was at a press conference uh, that will probably actually be the last press conference Obama will ever hold. Uh, He was responding to a question that brought up President-elect Donald Trump's phone call with uh, President Tsai Ing-wen. And in response to that question, Obama basically spelled out in the most detail that we've heard in quite a long time uh, his thinking on Taiwan Uh, and cross-strait relations more generally. Uh, So, fairly long bit of audio that we have for you here, but uh, I'm going to play it all for you uh, with the ums and the ahs and everything. So, here it goes.
3: There has been a long-standing agreement, essentially, between China and the United States and, to some degree, the Taiwanese, which is to not change the status quo. Taiwan operates... uh, differently than mainland mainland China does China views Taiwan as part of China but recognizes that it has to uh, approach Taiwan uh, as uh, an entity that uh, has its own ways of doing things Uh, the Taiwanese have agreed that as long as they're able to continue to function uh... some degree of autonomy that they won't charge forward uh... and declare independence and that status quo uh... although not completely satisfactory uh... to any of the parties involved uh, has kept the peace and allowed the taiwanese to be a pretty uh, successful and Economy and and a uh, 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 people who have a high degree of self determination.
0: So that's the bulk of it, right there. He also, uh, just to add to that, uh, also asked his successor to maybe you know think through any changes to current U.S. policy. Kind of a lot to sift through there. Uh, some folks here in Taiwan took exception to parts of that. Uh, for example, uh, former Vice President Annette Liu uh, and other pro independence activists yesterday took exception with that term "entity." Which he heard there. Uh, others were also not thrilled. Some folks in Taiwan were saying, hey, you know, you don't, can't really speak for us, Mr. Obama. We'll tell you what we think of the U.S. policy. You don't need to tell us what we think. Uh, and like I said, uh, we don't want to dwell on this at all, at all, at all. So uh, just throw it to our commentators. 20 seconds take. Is there anything else to say about this? Any significance whatsoever? Obama said a thing about Taiwan. Brian, your thoughts?
2: 20 seconds 20 seconds well you know this you know whenever whenever taiwan comes up in terms of american news you know our we all you know our heads all light up and you know we're all happy and then you know this happens so just the ongoing saga of you know what exactly taiwan is there's nothing new i think
0: nothing new
4: jason nothing new uh from taiwanese uh people it riles up a lot of uh people's sentiment because uh people think taiwan we are well like uh, like a nation, you know, a lot of people identify themselves as Taiwanese. So why would uh, Obama, the president of the U.S., tell Taiwanese people what to do? And mm. in fact, on the street, there's a lot of uh, people who say, hey, let's use this opportunity, you know, Trump and Republican power, and let's move towards Taiwan statehood.
0: Mm. So it kind of cuts both ways there. All right, Gavin is halfway to the door. So we're going to move on right now and on to Sao Tome and Principe. Cue the sad
5: music.
0: Yes, they are breaking up, cutting ties, parting ways.
1: Gavin, what happened this week? Yes, Sautome and Principe said bye-bye. Basically, in a nutshell... They mm. rang him up, contacted, I presume they rang him up and said, hey, we don't want anything to do with you anymore, so we're breaking off diplomatic ties.
0: They didn't They didn't come out and make a public statement. It, it, we, we heard of, about this they through Taiwan's government. Yeah,
1: they rang him up, didn't they? Yeah. They're not going to sort of stand in a soapbox and go, hello, go away, please, goodbye. <laughs> <Bye-bye." laughs> Apparently, though, apparently Sao Tomei wanted an exorbitant amount of money if they were going to continue being buddy-buddy with Taipei.
0: Money troubles, that'll break anybody up.
1: $210 million U.S. in financial aid was requested by Sao Tomei to continue to be friends with Taiwan. That's the story
0: we're getting from MOFA.
1: That's basically the story we're getting from MOFA, although this story hasn't been verified by anybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And Sao Tome really hasn't said very much, like you said, except bye-bye. China has said woo-woo-woo-woo. It's really good that Cha- Sao Tomei has cut ties with Taipei. Maybe they can be our friends now. Paraphrasing, um, of course. Paraphrasing big time. And, of course, no doubt someone in Beijing is taking the... Holy checkbook out of the cupboard somewhere in the big, big, big building they have in Beijing where the big checkbooks are kept, and they're probably writing a check to Sao Tome as we speak. Right. Well, that's. They want them big checks. You take to a big bank.
0: <laughs> well, they show up like right in front of their door with the film crew, the whole thing. And that's kind of getting at uh, another accusation that MOFA is making basically that Sao Tome was trying to play Taiwan against China, create a bidding war for diplomatic ties.
1: It was, yes. What, what's the, Another thing that's come out this week is. Of the KMT have blamed President Tsai Ing-wen's failure to adhere to the 1992 consensus mm. as a political foundation for the development of cross-strait exchanges and ties as one of the reasons that Sao Torme has decided to say bye-bye. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a bit of a stretch myself, mm-hmm. but we can I don't get People agree with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we can get into the nitty-gritty of that in just a second. Uh, before we really get into stuff like that and stuff like the uh, the pure diplomatics of it all, uh, we should at least mention that you know that the beyond just being an ally and a, a strategic partner to Taiwan, Taiwan was also uh, providing support in a number of ways to Sao Tome uh, in the form of education programs and the f- form of public health programs. So you know these ties went pretty deep, and now it looks like all of that stuff is coming to an end as well.
1: And of course, one of the things that, while you might think that Sao Tomé is pretty irrelevant in the geopolitical scheme of things, in fact, I guarantee if I asked 99 people where it was, nobody would know.
0: I may or may not have Googled it before I came on the show today. Well, did you or not? I Well, I may have.
1: Anyway, of course, let's get back to the topic of point. And the fact is, while people like Keith don't even know where Sao Tomé is, what it did do was when the UN met every year, of course, the... Places like Sao Tome actually went and stood out for Taiwan in the United Nations, mm. which was considered important.
0: All right. So clearly uh, there's a lot of moving parts to this issue. So to help us uh, kind of sort our way through this one, uh, we're happy to have on the phone right now Jane Ricards, who is, of course, uh, the former head of the Taiwan Foreign Correspondence Club. Jane, uh, hello to you.
5: Good evening, Keith.
0: So maybe we could just start with, for our listeners that aren't uh, familiar with this history, uh, introduce us to, you know, the Taiwan diplomatic partners. Why does Taiwan have all of these now? 21 used to be, uh, until a couple days ago, 22 uh, diplomatic partners around the world.
5: Well, um, as you know, Taiwan's official name is the Republic of China, and Taiwan's line is that it's a sovereign, independent country, but um, the rest of the world doesn't acknowledge this diplomatically because over 170 countries give diplomatic recognition to china so the value of these now 21 allies is that they give substance to taiwan's claim that it has a sovereign independent government and then secondly as gavin mentioned um they can speak up for taiwan in um organization, international organizations such as the un and its subordinate agencies
0: <laughs> uh, how, how far back do these allyships go
5: um, some of them go back to the founding of the Republic of China in the early 20th century. Mm. Some of the Latin American countries have been with the Republic of China all the way.
0: Mm. So uh, quite a bit of history there. Uh, maybe you could, uh, well, in your opinion, I mean, maybe we yes. can have a little bit of debate about this. But yes. are, are there concrete benefits uh, on the Taiwan side to having all of these allies out
5: there? Um, well, there arguments. I mean, I think the main thing which happens when Taiwan loses an ally is the effect on morale in Taiwan, um, which can go both ways. It can cause sort of pro-independence sentiment to rise or, or Taiwanese, this sort of sense of Taiwan being an international orphan kind of increases. Now, are there substantial benefits? Um That's debatable. I mean, there's the argument which Gavin just put forward and which I just mentioned that um, these allies can speak up for Taiwan, the United Nations. On the other hand, some academics are putting the case forward that we actually don't need them, that they are a drain in public finances and um, Taiwan would be better served by um, stepping up ties with substantial ties with non-allied countries which share Taiwan's values, such as liberal democracies. Um, and just generally making moves like recently they um cut they gave Brunei and Thailand visa free treatment mm. and just increasing substantive ties with um nations that share Thailand's values or can actually sort of be of help, like the um Thailand and Brunei move ra- related to the set new Southbound policy.
0: Mm, rather than worrying about you know the technical the diplomatic standing uh, that that's in place.
5: Yes, well, you see, the reality is is that Taiwan doesn't really have the funds to compete with China anymore. Right. I mean, and the- China probably has the resources to gobble up a few more allies, not just um, Tommy and Principe, mm-hmm. if not all of them. So um, Taiwan's fighting a losing battle. And um, so, yes, yeah, some, some academics have said that perhaps Taiwan should just focus on substantial ties with friendly countries, whether they're allied or not.
0: Well, that that is a good segue to the next question that we kind of want to take on. Some people yes. are saying that this is a sign of things to come. We're likely to see a string, uh, maybe even, a, yes. a, a. I think, a domino effect is the other metaphor that's yes. getting tossed around a lot. Of many of these allies uh, parting ways with Taiwan, uh, do you see that as being likely?
5: Absolutely. Yes. Um, in my opinion, this um, relates to Tsai Min's, um refu- refusal or avoidance of accepting the 1992 co- to consensus or some variation of the fact that Taiwan's part of China. Um, you can see this reflected in the language of the foreign ministry when it said that um Sao Tome wen Principe had returned to... The Chinese foreign minister said Tsai ing Principe had returned to the track of the one China principle. That So they sort of stressed that very much in the statement about setting up diplomatic ties with Sao ing and Principe. Um, so the message China is sending Taiwan is accept the 1992 consensus or one China or else. Um, the foreign minister's argument that um, this isn't true because um, China set up ties with former ally Gambia, Gambia before Tsang Wen took office is actually disingenuous at best. Um, saying when had been elected, and it was fairly clear that this was a warning signal to Taiwan that the diplomatic truce that had been established under Meng Zhou had been broken. Having said that, as I mentioned earlier, um, China could swallow up a fair chunk of Taiwan's allies if it wanted to, and it doesn't serve China's interest to eat up all of them because, um, Taiwan would have nowhere to go. But there's an, some political scientists have mentioned to me that if China, say, took all say, just left one or two, um, it could create such a sense of urgency in Taiwan that it could sort of make even more formal moves towards independence, or mm. it might think about new ways to as- express itself internationally or to achieve inter- diplomatic recognition. And that could be worrying for China as well. Mm-hmm. So what China actually, I think, wants to do is just give mild to moderate harassment. So it'll be a very slow attrition. I would say that probably swallow up an ally say, once every three to four months. All right. it's just moderate-level harassment. They're going to take an ally and let Taiwan stew on it and then hope that Tsai Ing-wen comes round because that, that's, they're very patient and they sort of think, if they, political scientists have told me, they think if they wait a long time, then Tsai will come round. And to people in Taiwan, that's nonsense, but to their way of thinking, that's how it is. So.
0: Mm. Mm. All right, so we can kind of leave it there for now. Well, I mean, it's yeah. good for it's good for people making news just because, you know, it's uh, it'll spread out the news for a long time to come so we can have this conversation again and again and again. But I see Jason Panning in studio nodding his head. Does that more or less sound right to you? Yes,
4: basically, uh, the allies gave uh, some form of legitimacy to the so-called ROC, uh, what uh, KMT wanted to claim as all of China. But things have changed. The world situation has moved on, and... Uh, from yesterday what i check on the news and the public sentiment on websites a lot of people <laughs> writing in saying good riddance you know we 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 don't want any of these uh, money diplomacy and uh, because when the news came out afterwards about how much money the sao tome government asking and how much uh, uh, MoFi is paying for the uh, students and uh, scholarship on South Vietnamese students. And a lot of people in town saying, oh, let's
0: stop that. Oh, well, good riddance, they're gone. It's okay with us. So doesn't that, wouldn't that then suggest that uh, China's strategy isn't really working and that uh, people are not too concerned about this?
2: Well, you know, every time this kind of happens, which, you know, can only happen 21 more times, um, it raises the question. <laughs> it's like, a lot why, of time still. Well, that's a lot of time still. You know, it's, we can talk about this for 21 more shows. You know, people ask questions like, why are Taiwan's allies these countries, which you know many Taiwanese have never heard of? Uh, you know, usually Taiwan has a larger population, a larger economy, and maybe sometimes it's actually better known internationally than these countries. Just that it lack, lacks equal recognition, so you know, it could create that pushing effect. But you know, as I mentioned before, it's another it's a way to get Taiwan's from the door. Um, and you know, some people deal, there there's this kind of tendency to you know claim that Taiwan needs to really really prize what allies it's, ha- it's having. But you know, I don't think there's any way to reverse this trend mm-hmm. of you know gradually declining allies.
5: One more point I'd Mm -hmm. make is that um, another tactic strategy Taiwan can use, aside from um, increasing substantial ties with non-allied countries, is to take the moral high ground. And I think the Ministry of Foreign Affairs did this very impressively with its English-language statement to put out about this. And it said that it, um, it set up ties with Sao Tome and Principe in 1997, then it reduced the incidence of malaria. From 50 percent in 2003 to 1.01 percent in 2015 or the taiwanese doctors stationed in and principe helped to reduce the incidence of malaria to virtually nil mm. and then it said that um and principe played both sides of the taiwan strait holding up the highest bidder and that comment about malaria is one of the most impressive things i've actually seen i have this sort of diplomatic wars over allies um I think that was very commendable and just saying, I think it was very good public relations move and a good thing generally just to say what they were actually doing in the African nation and how much they contributed and that they're not going to play money games. So but, in a way, Taiwan lost the battle but won the war. Hmm, With but, that statement, I thought that that was a very good move.
0: But then the flip side of that is that there is a medical mission that's actually being pulled out right now. Uh, yes. So I, do, do, do you think that that might kind of tarnish... I mean, that, that makes it look like, really, the, the bottom line is that the medical assistance was purely for diplomatic reasons.
5: Yes, I, I still think there's sort of financial realities involved in um, diplomatic ties, and people would understand that if Taiwan had to leave. Mm. because Diplomatic ties would cut, they need to use the funds for other projects.
1: Well, of course, one mustn't forget that China has had its grubby hands all over Africa for several years now, and mm. is basically making great inroads in there with Paying a lot of countries, shall we say, without being sued by anybody to support them. Not just support them politically, but to buy great chunks of their industries, of course, and their resources. And, of course, now Taiwan has two allies in Africa. Two other countries where Keith Menconi has no idea where they are. One being Swaziland, the other being Burkina
0: Faso. I know where both of those are. Ouagadougou is... uh, The
1: capital of Burkina Faso.
0: And uh, uh, Swaziland is uh, Mbappe. Mbappe.
1: no, oh, don't look at me. I haven't got a clue. Something
0: like Mbappe. <laughs> all right. Anyway, I'm, I'm done embarrassing myself. Let's move on, uh, Gavin, to an upcoming trip with Wen. that kind of ties into all of this. She's going to the South American Allies in a couple of weeks.
1: Oh, yeah, she's going to um, four countries in January on a state visit, those countries being Honduras, Nicaragua, Guatemala and El Salvador. She's going to, the, I believe, she's attending the inauguration of Nicaragua's president-elect in Nicaragua, of course, and she'll pl- hold talks with the officials in the other countries. And, mm-hmm. Of course, the controversy over this is where will she stop in America on the way there? Mm-hmm. There's rather a, a, an odd article in The Guardian that I read today that yep. harps on about how her trip could be very controversial, as she could meet with Donald Trump. Of course, we dismissed that two weeks ago on this radio show. So there's there we, there we go. I'm a little behind
0: the game. We, the a guardian. little behind
1: the game is the Guardian. Yeah, but it also made a good point that the fact that obviously they are trying to. They'll, when she transits in the United States, she will hold talks with U.S. officials. Mm-hmm. But we don't know where she's going to transit or who she's going to talk to yet. So. And so I guess... Which y- will start another poo storm with China right. when she has a transit there, because they'll jump up and down and stand at their feet again and go, It's storm. not fair!
0: Poo storm. Right, and so I think what a lot of people are going to be looking towards here, as they always do, especially in light of the little diplomatic snafu that we've been discussing so far, is how well is she treated, how much dignity is she accorded, uh, both in the U.S. and uh, as she visits the various South American allies that she mentioned. Jane, is there is there any other significance to this trip? I mean, is is this a chance for her perhaps to maybe push back diplomatically on uh, the Sao Tome incident?
5: Okay, um, the only significance I can see, there's been lots of reports sort of swirling in the media, and I think believe KMT um, politician Jason, who actually said this yesterday, that Panama is believed to be especially vulnerable. Mm. But, um... When I was translating at FTV, I did a story, or I translated a story where FTV interviewed the Panama First Lady, and she and Tsai Nguyen seemed to be as thick as thieves, and she mm. was sort of assuring that diplomatic ties wouldn't go, and that she admired um, President Tsai for being, you know, Taiwan's first female leader. And I often can't detect insincerity, but to me, um, the First Lady seemed to be quite committed and quite friendly with President Tsai, so... Again, you know, in this kind of game, you can never be too sure, but mm. there are reports that Panama's vulnerable. Well,
3: mm. d-
1: China, of course, a Chinese company runs that rather large piece of water that runs through Panama, of course, doesn't it?
5: Yes. Oh, it does now. Yeah. Yes, are actually signs that Panama was trying to play both sides off um, when they invited um, Tsai Wen to the opening of the, renova- you know, the, <laughs> the inauguration of the renovated canal or the the reconstructed canal. Mm. And they also invited um, President Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. which could be potentially embarrassing. And what analysts said was that it appeared that Panama was trying to play both sides off mm-hmm. and um, they weren't doing it very well. And Xi Jinping declined the invitation and sent someone else.
2: Mm. I mean, basically... Um, because
5: it would be too confronting to be face-to-face with Taiwan.
2: I mean, basically all of, you know, Taiwan's 21 remaining allies, I think, are kind of playing both sides off of each other to try to, you know, mm. gain maximum gain mm. from both sides. Mm. But, you know, I think regardless mm. of what happens, the KMT will, you know, find some fault with Tsai to kind of, you know, wax on again about the one-China policy, you know, probably, you know, they'll mm. inflate some minor incident and try to make mm. it to like, a media, something the media will focus on.
1: But there will be mm. no checkbook diplomacy...
2: Apparently not. Apparently well, not. We're everyone not. will claim that, but, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but who uses checkbooks anymore anyway?
2: That's pay, pay, true. I think pay, uh, we, paypal. Paypal. No, PayPal. No, no, no. no it's B- Bitcoin. should Bitcoin That's now. what they need to Bitcoin do. Deploy- Bitcoin or PayPal Let's update this yeah. stuff.
0: Let's update this stuff. Uh, well, uh, let, let, let's just hope that Tsai's schmoozing ability with uh, Panama's First Lady is up to snuff, and uh, she doesn't use the wrong fork or anything at dinner. A lot is riding on that, apparently. Moving on, but sticking with them international-type relations... Now, we're going to be talking about Japan. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs came out on Tuesday to warn that Japan is now refusing to resume discussions on a bilateral trade deal. The sticking point, Taiwan authorities have said there is still no plan in place to remove a ban on Japanese food products from areas affected by the 2011 nuclear disaster, Gavin.
1: Yes, this is, of course, a few weeks ago we had Japanese and Taiwanese officials chatting about business and an economic partnership. I believe the meeting took place in Taipei. Unfortunately, that meeting sort of broke up when the issue of radiation affected food, possibly, allegedly radiation affected food. Nuke food. I guess that's what they call it. But, of course, none of it's been actually proven that it's actually uh, affected at all, really, have they? Anyway, this week the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that Japan is dissatisfied with Taiwan's ban on foodstuffs from areas affected by the 2011 Fukushima nuclear meltdown as other countries have already eased their restrictions on Japanese food imports. Mm -hmm. And also because basically Tokyo turned around and said, well, you know, you've you've had these bans in place but you haven't found any unacceptable levels of radiation in any inspections carried out on any Japanese food products.
0: Right, and they have a point. Most countries, uh, I believe, have moved forward with lifting these bans. Uh, last time on the show, I said that it was just China that still had these bans, other than Taiwan. I read somewhere today that it, uh, also South Korea seems to still have these bans, but uh, I'm pretty sure Europe, North America, they've they've removed the bans from these areas. Oh uh, well, yeah,
1: after Chernobyl, there was no point in having a ban, was
0: there? Yeah, just th- throw more on the <laughs> fire. Why not? Uh, kind of. In f- the reason, I think, that uh, Taiwan came out and made their stance a little bit more clear is that there was another mislabeling controversy about a week and a half ago involving some kind of bean thing. I don't that, know. Was, that
1: was fermented soybeans. Mm-hmm. That was Natto, apparently. Natto. N- N-A-T-T-O, fermented a- soybean products. Apparently, these fermented soybean products were imported, and I'm going to crucify the name of this prefecture, but... Ibaraki, 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 Ibaraki Prefecture in Japan, which is one of five prefectures in Japan where foodstuffs have been banned from being imported from since March of 2011.
0: And they were, they were kind of mixed in with these larger were, lunchbox like, kind of things. They were things. like the
1: packets. They weren't like whole meals. They were like the little condiment packets yeah. you get inserted, like instant noodles and things, little At- condiment packets. Apparently the natto was... Produced in Irabaki. And Popics. they were tested, Infection. they
0: haven't been found to have any... No, no, apparently, any...
1: apparently officials said they tested like 86 varieties of all yeah. 139 or something and they but found was... no inconsistencies and they weren't glowing green
0: but it was yeah exactly but it was still enough to inflate i mean those those would be real magic beans uh if
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they would be
0: there you go uh, but 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 uh it was still enough to kind of re this whole controversy and here we are uh so jane let's uh let's start with you once again and i'm just curious i mean we're hearing most of this stuff at least you know the newspapers that i'm reading uh most of this is coming from mofa actually and they're saying you know like we did this study we found that japan feels this way do you have any sense of whether or not this is uh japan is actually as angry about this as mofa is portraying them
5: um i wouldn't say japan is angry um i think there's sort of certain parallels with the american position on taiwan and free trade agreements it's not so much they're angry they're sort of worried whether um taiwan could be a reliable trade partner because it can't sort of implement internationally accepted standards and um you know, it, it, it obviously can't sort of quell this public sentiment, which, and there might be issues with that in the future, and I see parallels with, um, you know, opposition to opening um, Taiwan's markets to US, US pork imports. Mm. It's the same issue over food safety. Um, I haven't... I actually did a search. I couldn't find very much information on um, Japan's position, but I imagine they wouldn't be angry. They'd probably more be more sort of practical like should we really engage in trade talks with this country if you know this happens
0: mm-hmm. now do you think that taiwan's government uh given the fact that uh, they, they they seem to be very scared of giving any indication that they're ever going to move on this issue do they have any room for maneuver here is there, is there any way for them to win over the public and convince them that this food is actually safe or or are they pretty much stuck in this position
5: for now and I think they're pretty much stuck in this position. Again, it's very similar to, as I said, it's very similar to the um, case of the U.S. pork imports. I don't think it's, I, I can see some parallels between the Tsai administration, the Mar administration, in that I don't think this issue is being communicated very well. Um, I think it's very much connected to, to the KMT's opposition to closer ties with Japan, because um, the, as you know, the two parties have very different histories and for mainlanders, you know, the Japanese are the people who did the Nanjing Massacre and they want you know, the Deep Blues want to get closer to China in the sort of Taiwan-Japan-China triangle whereas the DPP traditionally is closer to Japan. So a lot of this opposition has been whipped up by the KMT which simply opposes, um, clo- you know, the Deep Blue. simply opposes closer ties with Japan. Mm. And there's probably anger over Tsai Nguyen's hand- handling of the issues relating to the Okunotori Reef. Um, so it's been, I think it's been, I think we're stuck because the government hasn't fully communicated that, um, Taiwan's future as a trading nation may be at stake Mm. and it's been bogged down in all these issues of sort of poisonous food and, um, resistance to closer ties with Japan on the part of the blues.
0: All right. Let's bring things back in studio. Brian, anything you'd add to all that?
2: Mm. Well, you know, arguably similar to America. This is a case in which Japan is using trade as, you know, a way to, to to keep, Make security ties, taking security ties hostage in order to kind of enforce trade regarding mm-hmm. something controversial such as, you know, food that possibly has radiation or, you know, American pork that's been treated with ractopopine. But mm-hmm. actually, I think that Japan, in this case, it might actually be partly domestic in nature because, you know, f- uh, food from, you know, areas affected by the Fukushima disaster, that's still a controversial issue mm-hmm. in which, you know... There's still a lot of resistance within Japan to buying food from these places.
0: So if they don't push this issue, then that's sending messages to their own people yes. that we don't feel that this is really safe.
2: The Abe administration is very pro-nuclear,
0: or they're very—it's almost—it almost, it, it almost borderlines on
2: irrational because you know this is something that doesn't play so well with the public sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you know they're very much in support of nuclear power. It's a large, you know, initiative of the Abe administration to you know boost tourism to Fukushima mm-hmm. and you know to kind of convince people that food is safe. So you know, I think that you know he's trying to use this issue also domestically within Japan Mm. and Taiwan. Somehow just figured into that conveniently. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Jason, yeah, what do you got?
4: Yeah, the uh, side development to this is that uh, KMT politicians are using this to make their uh, uh, resurgence because they've been sidelined. So they are starting a uh, campaigning with public drive on the issue of food safety, but. In actuality, what they are doing is try to uh, gather their grassroots support and try to write on this public issue and for the election coming up. And some of them are actually using it because there's an internal fight over the KMT chairmanship. So they are using this uh, to gather up public support using this
0: food safety as a pretext. Mm. All right. Uh, Jane, should we let that be the closing words or is there anything else you want to add?
5: not really I would agree very much with Jason's comments about the KMT sort of whipping all this up to help its election chances Mm. and um, I think that in some instances the KMT has been quite hypocritical like in the case of pork imports from the US um, the KMT supported such moves when it was in power so it's being very opportunistic Mm. and um, we probably it's a shame that this happens there should be more sort of Informed debate about um, the advantages of free trade agreements versus the real dangers of the food, as opposed to all this sort of populist election campaigning. So,
0: hmm. all right, and we will leave it on that note. So we're going to have to say goodbye to Jane Ricards. Jane, thanks so much for calling in.
5: No worries, Keith.
0: All right. Well, as uh, today we don't even have an actual broadcast to get to. Oh, uh, it's it's kind of weird because we don't we don't even really have like a, a break that we can take in the middle. Uh, but I, I I feel like you guys have been listening to us jabber on for a little bit, so we're going to have a little musical interlude here just to kind of give you a rest from our grating, grating voices. But uh, just to remind you what's coming up next, uh, well, we're going to be talking about what it's going to take for Taiwan to sprout its own billion-dollar startups, why are Filipino workers in Taipei demonstrating against Manila, and why do sports authorities in Taiwan kind of suck? We'll have the answers to all those and more. After the sad, sad breakup tune uh, in honor of, you know, our diplomatic (laughs) ties. And we're just going to fade back into the show right there. Any Mando Pop lovers are going to know that that was Bay Pan, or Betrayal, by Gary Jha. Thought that that was a very fitting song for the show today. But uh, as we move along, actually, uh, we we, we reassessed a little bit while we were in the break right there. And I realized uh, we took quite a bit more time in that first half than I necessarily thought we were gonna. So in the interest of time, uh, once again, two weeks running, we're actually going to have to cut down one of our interviews, uh, that being our interview on Asia Silicon Valley. So just to clarify a little bit, this would have been an interview about a project to promote startups in Taiwan. The project is kicking off this Sunday. The interview was going to be with Digital Minister Audrey Tang, a very interesting conversation with her. We just can't fit it into the show right here. So here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to post that as a separate interview in this very same podcast stream. So if you still want to hear that, it's about 15 minutes long. It's not going to take too much out of your day. So if you do still want to hear that, just go one interview down in the podcast stream. You can find it right there. But for now, we're actually going to have to move on to the next story on our list. Last Sunday marked International Migrants Day, and more than 1,000 attended a Taipei event that featured vibrant performances put on to showcase the diverse cultures and talent that Taiwan has managed to attract. But not everyone was in a celebratory mood. Members of several groups advocating migrant workers' rights chose the day to stage a protest outside the Philippines' representative office in Taipei to call for more help in addressing the challenges faced by many. Among them was Migrante International, a group working in Taiwan and elsewhere around Asia, to advocate for overseas Filipino workers. Well, I spoke earlier in the week with the head of the group's Taiwan chapter in studio right here, uh, Hilda Banugan, who is herself a caretaker working here in Taiwan. Before we get to that interview, I just want to explain real quick what exactly they were protesting uh, this was an interesting one because it was actually directed not at the Taiwan government, which has been the subject of a lot of criticism on this issue. In this case, they were actually protesting uh, the Manila Economic and Cultural Office, or MAKO, uh which is the Philippine government's representation here in Taipei. Uh, and basically the point that they were making is uh, you need to do more to make sure... Everyone is playing by the rules in this game. Uh, For example, oftentimes they say a contract will be signed in the Philippines for a job to be performed in Taiwan. You know, we're talking here about domestic helpers or factory workers or workers on board fishing boats agreement is signed, they come over to Taiwan, and they find the job is substantially different from what they signed in the first place. Maybe there's more hours, maybe there's more responsibilities, they're being asked to do things they weren't asked to do originally, they're not giving, uh, being given the time off that they were originally entitled to, and then when they bring these complaints to the Mako office, to the authorities from the Philippines, uh, they're just not given the support that they would expect, they're, they're not really backed up. That's the point that they were making to kind of flesh that out a little bit. We're going to jump right into the middle of this conversation. Uh, and here, Hilda is going to explain what it's like when one of these workers comes to Taiwan and finds that things aren't quite how they expected.
6: In the Philippines, before they're uh, they're arriving in Taiwan, mm-hmm. they're just signing the contract. But when they arrive in, in Taiwan the brokers will man- manipulate this kind of contract. They will change. Um, uh, most of them are... It should be... We, we call them is illegal uh, trafficking. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, their their contract will sign in the Philippines is not originally. Mm-hmm. Mo- even in the caretaker, mm-hmm. most of them, they're working in the house of the, uh, of the employer. But their contract is not original. Mm. It should be... Uh, we call them is a fake. They are not. They are just manipulating. Mm. The, the broker will not uh, will not process their their original contract and the MECO. So, so we have uh, we have that case and we should ask them why they will not aware these issues. Why they will not care the issues of the migrant workers. Why they will not uh, ask. Uh, the uh, they will not demand the, the to the Taiwan government about these issues for many years. They're, we are suffering the, for many years, but they are just they didn't have any actions. This kind of situation, and also even even we can call them about. We are just concerning about our situation. That mm-hmm. oh, for example, why 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 my broker is deduct my salary like this like that, but. In our contract is is just not uh, legal ways, mm-hmm. but most of them they are saying now oh it's it depends from the agreement of your work, uh, brokers and you, mm. if uh, and also for your employers if mm-hmm. your employer said oh I don't want to pay that for example mm-hmm. the renewal of the pa- of, of the contract it's it's supposed to be the responsibility of the of the bro uh I mean the, the workers the, yeah. the employer to pay this okay. but uh. Uh, two days ago, I just called them. Mm-hmm. I asked them because some of uh, I have uh, there are uh, migrant worker asked me mm-hmm. that uh, the broker will charges of one thousand four hundred dollars to to legalize the work the the contract. Mm-hmm. And then I just called to the embassies to to ask about these issues. But they mm-hmm. said, "Oh, it should be the the employer's responsibility." Mm. But if the employers will not pay this, it should be charged from the workers. Mm. So, we can't, we should, I, I'm i just, oh, where is the truth? Mm. It should be the workers. It should be the employers. Mm. That's why many of the uh, brokers, even, even were just complaining to the uh, CLE, to the 1955 about these issues. But... The you know the the brokers will not aware because when when we are complaining into the Philippine Embassy, it should be like, oh, it's there, it's their uh, agreement. It's up to the brokers and to the employer, or it's up to the employer to the and to the mm. workers agreement.
0: So when so, you when you have a problem and you hmm. bring it to the Philippine government. They they basically, you're saying that in your experience, they don't look into it. Yes. They're, they're not interested in finding Actually, out what was yes. the original agreement. What was yeah. the original, what does the original law say that these people are responsible for this, 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 Yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's mm. right. So a, a lot of the issues that you raise and a lot of the issues I hear about migrant workers all involve the brokers. Yes. The companies that are helping uh, workers come from the Philippines to Taiwan uh, some people are 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 saying that maybe we don't even need these brokers, and I I, I think I mean there are legal ways to uh, come to Taiwan without a broker. You can just do direct hiring. Why, why do so many migrants still choose to go through these brokers
6: other uh yes uh, that is the very important questions otherwise we should pay for them for a monthly service fee mm-hmm. but most of the brokers they will not protect this migrant worker just only collecting the money mm. they just only sh- uh, if we have uh, if we have a problem in our jobs in our uh, situation when, when we are complaining to them when we are just asking the their uh, helps but they are they are just oh, they are just uh, answering oh if if you want to complain about that and then I will send you to the Philippines or else they are just going to threaten us uh, they are just going to the this broker want us just for a money. Not Mm. for the protection, not for the, not for the, uh, they're just not serving us.
0: Mm. I mean, when when you speak to uh, workers in the Philippines that are thinking of coming to Taiwan, do you recommend to them stay away from brokers? Just try to find uh, direct hiring instead. Do do you think that that's a message that you would like to send to more workers?
6: Yes, actually, we're just uh, if better to. To have uh, better to go to the direct hire mm-hmm. rather than to the brokers or to the agencies. But here in Taiwan, the situation here in Taiwan, even in the in the caretaker or household workers, there is no direct hiring, so it's difficult for us. To find the worker, I uh, find the employers without brokers. Oh,
0: so mostly, so so the issue is most employers decide to work Decided. through the brokers. So it's it's just almost impossible to find a job with direct hiring. Yes, I see, I see, I understand. Now, 2016, obviously you're you're highlighting here a lot of the challenges, but 2016 is also a year where there were some advancements uh, in terms of uh, some of the regulations for migrant workers in Taiwan. Uh, For example, the Fisheries Agency is now uh, tasked with coming up with ways to protect migrant workers on Taiwan fishing boats. That's one thing. Uh, And also the three-year cap on the amount of time that uh, migrant workers can stay in Taiwan, that's been done away with. Uh, That obviously caused a lot of problems where migrant workers would have to leave Taiwan, uh, and then they might be charged again when they want to come back uh, every three years. Uh, That's something that uh, the brokers opposed a lot uh, before it was finally removed. Uh, And then one other issue that occurred this year that I read about is that uh, in the Philippines, it's now illegal for uh, brokers in the Philippines to charge broker fees, although obviously uh, a lot of reports that I've seen have said that that still happens, despite the fact that it's illegal I'm curious to hear from you. Uh do you think that uh this is real progress that we've seen in 2016?
6: There is no improvement at all. Uh maybe because maybe because uh this this uh government here in Taiwan, eh, the the Miko, uh, the the Philippine embassies will not uh do some action about these issues. Mm. Just it just only uh they just only collecting the, the papers. They just only oh, just you can do that. But there is no option how to stop this.
0: Oh, so so even though some of the laws are changing, yes. you're no. saying that doesn't no, matter. No,
6: no, no. There's just no action about this. They just they didn't have didn't have any plans how to stop this. Mm-hmm. How to how to cut this this. Uh, uh, burden they, because this, they are this kind of is a very burden for us. Mm. They don't have any action about this, mm. so it's not uh, possible that they are they uh, they will be changed.
0: Mm. Now, one of the arguments that the brokers make is that if the system is so bad. Uh, people would stop coming here. Maybe you know, if Taiwan is so bad, why why do people still come here? They could go to Hong Kong. They could go uh, elsewhere in Asia. Uh, so maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Uh, why do people still come to Taiwan uh, if the system is so bad?
6: Um. First is uh, for my experience. First is uh. The, the 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 Philippine recruitment agencies didn't told us uh, didn't tell us that oh there is an deduction uh, this is your deduction when you arrive there nothing
0: oh so there's we, a lot of information yes that's left the, out. there is
6: no information at all when mm-hmm. we arrive here we just go, oh what why why my why my my Philippine agencies doesn't want to tell us that about these issues mm-hmm. it should be like they're just quiet mm-hmm. because. They must be afraid that the workers will not uh interest. So they will not uh collect the money. So maybe they just they they're just uh being quiet and they just oh sh- when uh, when we arrive are just shocking for us that oh my gosh then we have this kind of uh they they have this kind of uh, empl- uh I mean rules in Taiwan but they don't have any information in the Philippines, in the mm. recruitment agencies. For example, uh, the uh, they are just working here for many t- many times and going back home and then come back. It's because the the in our it's, it's just like, uh okay after after our end of our contract and then I we come back again because my employers will be will uh, rehire us. So it's uh it's difficult for us all to find another job in other country. So another payment. Another changes of the culture. Mm. Oh, so
0: once you're here, it's hard to leave. Yes. Mm. If you knew everything that you know now, before you came to Taiwan, do you think you would still come here?
6: For me, I think no.
0: No, really? (laughs) What's the biggest issue for you, do you think?
6: Uh, For me, uh, first is I don't have day off. Mm. I don't have day off. I have to pay uh, our... our, uh, Brokers fee, but my brokers doesn't want to care us mm-hmm. even me i have I have here for two years to my employers but i i I cannot receive any message for them any call for them mm. yeah so and also we should uh our our salary is not enough because i have we have a lot of deductions so
0: mm. All right. Well, uh, those were all my questions for today. Uh, But is uh, there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners?
6: Yeah, uh, to all the Filipino here in Taiwan, uh, still continue to fighting our rights. You you know guys, mga kababayan, uh, sasabihin ko lang sa inyo, kung hindi kayo maninindigan sa sarili ninyo, walang mangyayari sa atin, kaya kailangan natin... uh, Kailangan nating ipaglaban yung mga karapatan natin as a migrant workers here and also wag pa, wag po tayo magpasindak-sindak kaya kaya tayo naaapi dahil pinapakita nating mahina tayo kaya in this time we are just uh, we are just encouraging you guys to fight our rights no matter what happened.
0: All right. Well, that was the uh, perspective today from Hilda Banugan, uh, who is the chairperson for Migrante International in Taiwan. Hilda, thank you so much for speaking with us.
6: Thank you so much for inviting us. And thank you so much for having me a time having me here.
0: All right. And thank you for production assistance on that one from Lenin Umali, high school friend of mine. So thank you, Lenin. And meanwhile Gavin I mean we've been speaking mostly here about uh, domestic workers but uh, the Taiwan's fishing fleet also employs a number of migrant workers
1: oh, and that th-
0: issue came back up in the news this week.
1: Yeah this issue came back when the Pingdong District Prosecutor's Office said that um, under instruction from the Control UN which is the government watchdog they've had to reopen an investigation into the death of an Indonesian national hmm. who was working on a, a fishing vessel in Taiwan's far seas fleet in August of last year when he died of septic And apparently he died of septicemia because wounds that he basically got because he was physically assaulted a month earlier on the fishing boat made him... Well, he died because of those wounds. Uh, There's nothing else to say, really. And he was an Indonesian national. And the story, of course, came back to Taiwan. The boat came back to Taiwan, yada, yada, yada. It was all sort of brushed under the carpet. And apparently in Indonesia, some people... The people from this man's brokerage who died went to his family, apparently, and made them sign paper work Mm. saying that the brokerage itself that got him the job, albeit illegally on the Taiwan-registered fishing boat, were not liable for his death. So basically it left the family with nothing, basically because of the brokerage, basically because of the failure of people in Taiwan to actually investigate the death, and basically because of the treatment that these foreign fishing boat workers get mm-hmm. on Taiwan registered fishing boats.
0: Uh, but there are going to be some new regulations in place that's going to empower the fisheries. Uh, well
1: the fisheries agency is going, hang on a minute we've had enough of this and regulations for oversight of employment agencies and also of employees on fishing boats like the Indonesian chap who died unfortunately will now be put into place. So the fisheries agency will be able to board vessels, look at paperwork from both the employment agencies and the actual fishermen that were employed Themselves, basically.
0: Obviously, implementation is going to be insanely difficult here because we're talking about ships well, that are here and there and everywhere. We're
1: talking, not about, we're, talking we're, the, we're talking about Taiwan's Far Seas fishing fleet on this one, which means, you know, they could be fishing off the coast of Madagascar Yeah, 90% of the time.
0: All yeah. right, so we're going to have to wait and see whether or not that actually makes any difference whatsoever. But we are going to move on to our next story, second to last. If this was our broadcast, it would be our last story, but we have no broadcast, so I guess we can just come out and say it's our second to last. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the broken sports system in Taiwan and the moves to fix it, Gavin.
1: Yeah, apparently the Cabinet earlier this week approved some moves to basically revamp the National Sports Act. Mm. And, of course, the National Sports here is come problematic. Of course, the Rio Olympic Games highlighted it this year. We won't go mm-hmm. back year after year after year where it's been highlighted. But, of course, the Olympic Games highlighted it this year. We had Sheer Su Wei, the tennis player, mm-hmm. causing a bit of controversy and coming out against her basically... The tennis association here and said that they're not they're running it properly. It's absolutely rubbish. It's rigged. It's fixed. They're da, 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 again. the and people that run the tennis federation know nothing about tennis.
0: And putting her money where her mouth is by not playing at all and I'm refusing to did. play.
1: But she refused to play. Then of course we had the badminton player Dai Zhe Ying came out. She got in trouble. Of course she got in trouble for no reason whatsoever that she was wearing a pair of sneakers. Wearing the wrong shoes But apparently had the badminton federation of Taiwan said you can't wear. Mm. And that caused more controversy with why can't sports people wear exactly what they want to wear? This opened another Pandora's box.
0: And now that she's been crowned the number one badminton player in the world, it's like, what, what were your priorities? Why are you giving this girl a hard time? She's the for number wearing, one badminton yeah, for the player. Wearing,
1: for wearing a pair of sneakers that the Badminton Federation of Taiwan said she couldn't wear. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Jason knows all about this. So what did the, what's happening, Jason, Jason, to sports?
4: Jason, our sports guy, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I'm a cheery, happy guy onto this. I'm going to announce to people listening. Mm-hmm. In Taiwan, mm-hmm. dun, 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 dun. it's a dawn of new era. Oh my God! It's a dawn of a new era for sports in Taiwan because there are a lot of I know uh, foreign friends in around Taiwan who are into cycling, running, a mm-hmm. uh, cricket, a mm-hmm. uh, football, yeah. And things might change mm-hmm. if this bill ran through because it's basically reform. Mm. Um, basically uh there's four main points in this bill, which okay. will is going to the legislature number one is uh open up for uh more professional uh running of the these sports association two is uh, uh accounting transparency uh that open up books finances the third is the uh, for government to have more uh scrutinizing mechanism and Oh, there are rules for the organization that politicians uh, mm. uh, should not be on the boards and things. So this will fix a lot of problem. what's wrong with Taiwan sports. In the past, it, sports serves in political purpose. And a lot of because it's who you know, not if you are good in sports, but it's you know the uh, as politician and who runs these are sports uh, associations. A lot of them are KMT politicians and they make money. They are monopolizing a lot of these sports associations. Mm-hmm. So now they are opening up. So I'm saying to my a lot of my friends who are playing cricket and soccer, now is the time to, well, once the bill go past this uh, amendment, you could sign up membership and eventually you get in with a consulting or a participating and eventually might be uh, running or helping operating these uh, sports and make it really run by professionals rather run by politicians who are out there to make a buck off their athletes.
1: There's been a... Yeah, yes, of course, cabinet spokesman Xu Guoyong came out a couple of weeks ago and said, such organisations will no longer be closed shops run by cliques of business and political elites as the bill aims to allow the public to join and be involved in the supervision of sports bodies across the island.
0: All right, so clearly uh, transparency is what they're looking for there, kind of taking out some of this influence, political influence, insider influence. Uh, But uh, Jason, I mean, you sound very optimistic about all this. What we're talking about here, though, is a a change of mindset, a change of culture. Is this really something that you can legislate? Isn't there going to be a lot of friction to the kinds of changes that you're hopeful about seeing?
4: Basically, once the still runs through past legislation, you'll uh, be opened up to people who really know the sport, who are running the sports. reason I'm optimistic is because there are a lot of, in the past decade, more and more foreigner and uh, even Taiwanese people getting involved in sports. But they try to make reform, make changes, or make something better. They run into a ceiling. On the top is all these especially KMT politicians or people who are, it was a specific network. They run the show and they don't listen to uh, how, how things could be changed. I talked to uh, uh, the football teams, uh, Royal Blue, the expat uh, uh, who are playing football. And they said they have a lot of good ideas of uh, how football could be run better, pitches uh, developing young, young, stu- young people. And they got shut out from the CTFA, the, uh, the uh, Chinese Taipei Football Association. And similar, I heard from my friend who are into cricket, and they say they are trying to put on some cricket tournament and or, or rugby, and they get nowhere, because a lot of the currently people running these are politicians and business were they're only concerned on making money, they now for improving sports. So once these, uh, say, these elite or people are removed or rules are opened up, that. By law, you should open up your membership and accounting should be transparent. And you allow professional people who are actually playing the game to run the game, then things will change, I, I hope.
1: Mm. Right, of course, one other major change they're looking to change with the Sporting Act would be the establishment of an arbitration board. Mm. This, of course, will be used to settle disputes between the athletes themselves, coaches, and the sporting bodies, which, of course, would have been useful when Xie Su Suwei and Dai Zeying were having their Contratoms back in the summer.
0: Yes, you can wear those shoes. Yeah, or, yeah. what? Ha- or yes, you can have that coach, what have you.
1: No, you can't wear those Dr. Martin shoes <laughs> when you
0: righty. So a lot to look forward to there, but we are going to need to move to our final story for today. This is not our podcast bonus story, because it's just a podcast story. It's just another final story. Gavin, what do you got for us?
1: I've got some controversy over closed-circuit television in Taipei. Mm. Apparently some Taipei city councillors have come out this week, and they are, they are flabbergasted. But the fact that there's apparently 46 closed-circuit television cameras on the junction of Herping East Road and Shinsheng South Road. It is a large junction. I will admit it's not a small junction. But still, you know, 46 cameras, it seems a bit extreme to me. Anyway, these Taipei City councillors came out and said, hey, this is an invasion of our privacy. You have so many cameras pointing at us. Hmm. I'm not sure about this. Apparently they were complaining because apparently you could see inside the cars. Mm-hmm. Quite what you'd be doing inside a car at a junction, you didn't want the police or anyone to see, I don't know, because, of course, you'd be stuck at a red light. So you couldn't do very much unless you did do something, and you did it very quickly.
0: Huh, okay, so an interesting privacy issue. Obviously, course, cities what's, around what's, the world are dealing with stuff like this. Is,
1: what's interesting about it, I found there's, there's, there's closed-circuit television cameras all over Taipei.
0: Yeah, well, of course, I mean, we all know that. Uh, well, let's, let's put it uh, to the both of you. I mean, is, this is kind of interesting, because when I ask... There, there, there was a night where I went to a 7-Eleven and there was no clerk behind the counter. And I just, I watched that counter for a number of hours and I people would go in, they'd take their product, they'd pay for it at the counter, and they'd leave. And there was like a pile of money growing on the on the counter there. over Like as the night progressed, it was just a big old pile of money. And I cannot imagine anything like that happening in New York and San Francisco. I mean, the store would be gone by the time the manager got back. Uh, And I asked uh, some of my Taiwanese friends, how does that happen? And all of them said it's because, well, there's cameras everywhere and we'll get caught. So clearly, uh, this idea that there's cameras everywhere uh, does change the thinking for a lot of people in Taiwan. Uh, Brian, how do you feel about all this? Do you feel like your privacy is infringed?
2: Um, It's hard to say. I think, you know, just contemporary society, you know, cameras are everywhere and you know people are always terrified of being on the apple daily for you know any reason
0: hey, they'll blow um, your face they'll blow your face don't worry that's right
2: that's right you know even just things on the subway or you know on the bus you know if there's somebody there that looks like they need a seat people you know will stand up being like you know, I'm afraid to be on the Apple Daily for these, like, you know, disrespectfully young people. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that that is actually a story. That's that come is, up. That yeah, is I have seen that story. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, so mostly, I mean, it's it's funny because you know sometimes actually maybe it's not there's too much camera. Sometimes there's actually you know so much footage that this footage is actually useless for you know when it's actually ne- needed mm. for you know crimes and so forth. There's just so much footage sifter that's being produced. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess that goes back to contemporary society. <laughs> We're all under the camera. <laughs> so, so
0: you're you're just so cynical and uh, contemporary society overall is uh, it's all messed right. up. So, uh, 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 Jason, are you worried about Big Brother watching you? Uh, yes, I am. I'm quite uh, uh, kind of fearful of
4: all these, uh, you know, uh, Orwellian society, all these camera pointing at me. I, I I don't. I want my privacy guarded. On the other hand, mm. most people in Taiwan society seems to like it because. It fights crime, Mm -hmm. ensure public security, Mm -hmm. and a lot of, say, theft, robbery, or accident, or even, like, big major international crime.
0: Mm. That's true.
4: uh, Criminal got caught.
0: We had the ATM guys come here. They tried to steal from all those ATMs. Uh, They didn't even make it out of the country. We got them in, like, three or four days.
4: Yep. And that was... Taken as a textbook example by many mm-hmm. countries saying, oh, wow, uh, Taiwan managed to catch this guy and solve this crime so quickly. And they become you know, a model for some of the uh, police uh, law enforcement agencies in you know, all over the country. So they are good sides, bad sides. But personally, I'm for privacy.
0: That is big brother working for you. Gavin, big brother working for you.
1: I don't mind. I mean, if i was stupid enough to do something in public that I sh- shouldn't be doing because it's highly illegal and the busies come and get me because they've seen me on TV, it's my own stupid, asinine fault, isn't it?
0: Yeah, if I'm in a car, I'm not going to presume that I have any privacy, really.
1: No. I know, I was, I just was think of you know
2: that guy in the dinosaur suit during the air raid drill. You know, in the end, he got caught because of a security camera. I mean, <laughs> oh, you know, maybe we won't have fun yeah. things like that. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. That was, that was some... great. I'll tell you why
4: the city councilor uh, don't want this camera because there's been cases of legislator councillor being caught in a car with a woman, not of their wife, <laughs> Xiao San, or it's their uh, real affair. opposition. Yeah, that was a lot
0: of happening in the newspaper. So. That intersection used to be a great spot for whatever afternoon delight you you might be into that day. It's and
1: near Dian be- Park.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, we don't even need, we can't tell people about it anymore. It's useless. It's been ruined, like Jason just pointed out. All right. Sorry, city councilors. You'll have to find a new spot for uh, whatever. Tiffy. Yeah, whatever whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. That is the last story for today. Please do join us again next time. Time on This Week broadcast every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT-FM 100. Except for, of course, this week because of Christmas, various whatnot that we got preempted for. But we will be back on next week, Gavin, and we're going to have a, a special uh, year-end show kind of reviewing everything that's happened.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, depending how quickly we can get through, it's going to be the top ten or the top five. <laughs> if, certain guests if people say, talk, talk it, too much, it'll just if, be the top five. If but certain if certain guests talk too much, it'll be the top two.
0: <laughs> so hopefully we can keep it snappy and get to uh, ten whole top things that happened in 2016 here in Taiwan. So look for that next week when we will have the broadcast once again and the podcast. Uh, you can also find an extended version of the show, such as the one you just heard right here, online at the ICRT website, on iTunes, a couple of other places as well. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Menconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps.
1: Yo ho ho, here we go, it's Christmas day. It?
0: A little bit of Christmas, he he gave us a little bit of Christmas cheer, we got to be thankful for that. Uh, Jason Pan as well in studio. Have a good evening from Jason. Here we go, uh, even more Christmassy, and Brian Hugh.
2: Uh, good night and happy
0: holidays. Keeping the Christmas <laughs> chain going, love it. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week.